Vinny. Hey, Katie. Welcome to Learn Real Good. <laughs> A science comedy podcast for you. That wasn't quite it. No. That wasn't quite it. That's another way to you open know what? it. You know, we're throwing the old shackles of patterns yeah. out the front door. Why and do we it's need... It's a new year. It's a new season. Well, it's not so new anymore. We're both through the middle. Um, but you know what? We no keep rules. changing it. No, no rules. rules. Yeah. We're not even going to do banter. What? No, we need to do banter. No, we're definitely bantering. We need to banter. I, I, I do. What's uh? What's been, What's new with you, Vinny? <laughs> I have a banter topic. Yeah. What? What's the banter topic? <laughs> what? You have the banter topic, well, and then you're just like, I'm gonna throw it out. I was well, what's new with you? The floor. Uh huh. Which I never do. No. But remember, new rules. New rules. New season. New, new ru- rules. New rules. No rules. Whoa. New rules. No rules. <laughs> Need that T-shirt. We, <laughs> um, Degrassi. We've been watching a lot of Degrassi. <laughs> it's true. Junior high. Junior high. We the, started at the, the beginning. Original. Well, we didn't start at the beginning. Beginning no. of Degrassi well, Street. The whole story is we were on a road trip a yes. few weeks ago, and we put on the TV because TV in a hotel is one of life's greatest pleasures. It's pretty great. Um, and uh, right off the bat. Degrassi Junior High, which is the first time we've ever discussed it as being a formative we show for us. both watched it as yeah. kids, for sure. And it was a delight to experience together. And now we've started rewatching from the beginning. Yes. And it has been uh, a joy for me. It's both enlightening <laughs> and entertaining. <laughs> and very dark. There's a lot of stuff. Those, There's no good things kids. that happen to those kids. There is some. Like, but oh, it's 10%. a lot of tough stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to address like societal yeah. issues. Like all of them. And so every episode is like this week in tragedy. <laughs> but we're exp- so we're sort of watching with your one of your teens as yes. well, and sort of explain to them that for us there was no internet, so there's no way yeah. to learn about the tough lives. And nor were we taught this in school. <laughs> no one talked about these <laughs> yeah, things. No. no one talked about these things. But this is not a Degrassi podcast. Although you know what, it uh, should be. Should that should be a spinoff. That yeah, we should talk about that after. Yeah. this is a science comedy podcast. Correct. Where we shoot the breeze. The done check check. Um, and then we share science facts and then we're going to have a guest which I'm, I'm so very excited, excited about yeah, our guest I'm really pumped I, I always, we always get great guests I like never a stinker <laughs> one, it's true one day we're going to have a stinker don't say that and that episode will never come we'll out we'll never air it the fact that you're hearing this means this certified wasn't a stinker. fresh yeah, yeah. certified non-stinker <laughs> guaranteed non-stink well with that should we get to our facts I would love to science s- facts science facts, facts, facts. facts who goes first who's on uh, first do you want to go first alright I have I, I planned how I would begin this <laughs> did it start with that <laughs> no that was a terrible beginning Vinny yes Katie what do flying squirrels platypi wasps and frogs have in common uh, flying squirrels, <laughs> yes. platypi, yeah. wasps, yes. and what was the fourth thing? Frogs. Frogs. This is a wide category. Yeah. Uh, things I don't want to eat. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> We're talking about animals Vinny won't eat yeah. today. Yeah, that's a science fact. Well, it's a fact for me. Things do not serve you for yeah. dinner. Correct. Um, no, bioluminescence. They all what? have recently been discovered to here. have bioluminescence. Frogs? Yes. Wasps? Some wasps. Platypi. Platypi. And flying squirrels. And some, some squirrels, yes. Some squirrels or some flying some squirrels? Some flying squirrels, yes. Specifically the glowing ones. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay, so this fact comes from frogs specifically. Um, you got this from a frog. <laughs> yes, 
So Frog reported this to me on my way to work. All right. It's like, lady. <laughs> wow. Hot news. I feel like that's you're burying the lead here, but continue. <laughs> no, no, no. It's about the information, not the fact that I talked to frogs today. So we actually discovered that some frog species have bioluminescence in 2017, which was wow. huge news. Yeah. Because before then, we usually think of, you know, ocean creatures, plants, not a lot of animals mm-hmm. that bioluminesce, particularly on terrestrial systems. But since then, we've discovered that it's way more common than we thought. So this comes from a study that looked at 150 different species of frog mm. and found blank percentage of them were bioluminescent. What would wow. you guess? Of 151 species, how many? 120%. More than the number <laughs> surveyed. Um, no. Oh, that was a bad guess then. No, it was a great guess. 5%. All of them. Get out. All of the ones that they surveyed in South America. That doesn't mean all frogs okay. bioluminescent. Only the South American ones. There's way more than 150 species of frogs. Sure. 150. They, they looked at 150 frogs and in South America. And 100% of them. 100% of them had some bioluminescence. Were they like, like, really like at a rave? What was happening? <laughs> well, that's the question. So what is it for? So first, what colors do they fluoresce? Because that'll help tell yeah. us a bit more of the story. I need so, to know. Uh, they... Largely had green fluorescence and orange fluorescence. And where the fluorescence occurred is sort of indicative as to what the purpose is. So it was on their arms and in their sort of croaking area, which led scientists to believe it probably has something to do with mating. I mean, not... A tough right, guess, sure. right? We already know they're they're singing for mates, right. but also if you have this thing that's enlarging as you croak, that's bioluminescent. Oh, that also provides a visual, very eye catching stimulant. And they're very famous for gesturing. So their arms, <laughs> they're doing this. Are you sure this wasn't on, done in ladies, Italy? Come on. <laughs> um, so they think the green luminescent stuff is uh-huh. for themselves, for their own species. Okay, um, and that's based on the fact that their eyes are very sensitive to green fluorescence mm, mm-hmm. at twilight which is when they are mating okay but what about the orange warning. bioluminescence yes poisonous their guess is that it's for warning to predators instead of so they're not necessarily um orange colored but they're right. fluorescing orange and that's supposed to so they think it might have something to do so with this predators. is a recent discovery so i'm imagining the fluorescence is rather faint i will show you a picture and if this I is remember... going to be great for a podcast <laughs> Maybe I'll remember to post this picture. So oh, yeah, probably, that's it's a not that faint. Yeah, no. It's not that faint. But the thing is, you only see it when you put a blue light on them. Oh. And I mean, if you're walking around the forest, you're not no. at a rave. You're not flashing. Your blue light around. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my God. The frogs. <laughs> that's how it, they found it, though. That's cool. It's a good thing. They were raving in the forest. And Make so news. platypi and wa- like a whole bunch of things. So this article is about frogs. frogs so they mentioned they that. They mentioned these other yes, ones. Yes. And so that was just my way Eye of getting to the conversation. Attention. But I don't have a lot of information right. as to wha- where platypi are. luminescence is pretty cool. Let's be honest. Super cool. I mean, what do you think of when you hear like luminescence in an animal? What it, What's your go-to? Firefly. Firefly. Yeah. They're the coolest. They're amazing. I'd never seen one until like five years ago. When right. I saw one, I was like, oh, those aren't fake. I just had never right. it's seen like, them. Like like unicorns or yeah. leprechauns. It's like, oh yeah, fireflies. A They're step weird. down from leprechauns, <laughs> the firefly. <laughs> yeah. But we've but been seeing real. them a lot in yes, Montreal. It's true. Which I don't remember. I've been here for no, it's true. 13 years. Only this past summer day, I see them a lot. We saw yeah, them a it's lot. almost as if the climate has changed to make nah. it habitable for them. Well, save that for my next bet. All right. Uh, that's really cool. Bioluminescence yeah. is cool. 
cool. I always think of the sorry the anglerfish. That's my go-to oh, for luminescence. Wow, deep cut. Yeah, deep. Literally sea cut. deep sea cut. Deep, deep sea cut. Very All right, cool fact. Oh, thank you, Vinny. Uh, I want to hear yours though. Yeah. Well, my fact is uh, a little bit of science news that happened. <laughs> now, <laughs> not... that is the name of the assignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, have you, are you familiar with Voyager, the satellites, the Voyagers one and two? A little. You know, I'm mostly into the life science. Yeah, you're mostly animal but, uh, based. I think I've heard of Voyager. Right. So Star Trek, right? In the in the 70s, they yeah. realized right. that there's going to be an alignment of planets that is very conducive. If you launched a satellite, it uh-huh. would hit all of them, like nice. the gravity alignment of them. You didn't need to add extra fuel. You just launch it once from Earth, and gravity would automatically take it to hmm. the four outer planets. Cool. Because they were all in a row. So they sent two probes. Yeah. Uh, Voyagers 1 and 2, they launched like a mid and late 70s, and they are currently the furthest things from Earth. Wow. They have left the solar system, and we can still get signals from them. They're still operating. So wow. they have like uh, radioactive like nuclear engines, mm-hmm. little tiny little heaters that generate electricity, and they're still broadcasting their data. Like there's still a couple instruments that they, basically all the instruments ostensibly work, the power source is fading over time. Mm. So they don't have enough energy to use them all at the same time. So they've been shutting them off one by one and just getting like mm. the minimum mm-hmm. amount of information that they can while running the minimum amount of, of power. And so we actually can communicate with both of them uh, to this very day. They're like super, super far. Wow. Now, here's the interesting part. Okay. Recently, Earth, NASA, sent the command to Voyager 2, just like a routine command to like you know adjust its navigation and orientation because it's very far away so the precision on their antenna has to be exact for us to receive an information okay now there was a small mistake oh no and it reoriented itself two degrees off of earth classic voyager so they lost contact with voyager this thing that they've been in contact with since the late 70s someone's getting fired well Here's the thing. They were like, oh, no, can we recover from oh. this? And NASA being, you know, some, some pretty smart some, people. Yeah, some there's smart some people. there, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that they didn't panic too much about was that it's going to automatically, it automatically goes through a, a system where it reorients itself, itself to Earth every X number of weeks. Ah. And so on October 15th, it was going to point back to Earth mm-hmm. anyways. So like, okay, this is bad, but we're going to lose all this data between now, between like, you know, the end of summer to October, that, that's a big gap in our data. We'd really love to get this back. So what they did was they normally send a signal of uh, 20 kilowatts, which is a power magnet measurement of how strong the signal has to be to reach Voyager. Okay. So now because it's off by two degrees, mm-hmm. that signal is going to be incredibly faint. Like, so it's kind of, it's like, like kind of like slightly pointed towards the Earth, so it would pick up some of it. But it, the Voyager spaceship is not going to read that signal. It's too quiet because it's not like mm-hmm. I'm not talking right at you. I'm talking like off at an angle. Yeah. So what did NASA do? They got the biggest uh, transmitter they have, and they got it to broadcast at 400 kilowatts, so 20 times the strength of what it would normally send. And 400 kilowatts. When that thing transmits, airplanes aren't allowed to fly over it because it will fry the electronics on that plane and probably be bad for everybody on board. 
So uh, when they did it, they you know they got the biggest, and I think it's in Australia, and they did what is called a shout, a radio sh- a telescope shout or oh my. transmission shout, and they sent the fix the corrected uh, orientation, and then a couple days later they got information back from Voyager wow. 2. It had re- picked up the strong signal and reoriented itself. So now we're back in business, baby. How are the people on Voyager doing? Uh, there's no people on it, so I guess okay. Did, uh, was that a was joke. a joke. That, that was, was a joke. joke. I, I know think, you didn't I think there think, were people on I it. I know you didn't. But that's pretty incredible that, you know, I mean, we have to change our computers like every two weeks at work because they get outdated right? that yeah. somehow we're still able to communicate with these this things This thing for that so is so ago. far away. I believe it's 18 hours or 17 hours round uh, to communicate one way. Oh, at the speed of light. So that's how long it takes a message to reach Voyager. And then for it to return information, it's another 17, Imagine 18 Imagine the frustration if they leave you unread. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, you got to wait 17 hours? Yeah. This is a pain. What a pain. What oh, a very pain. cool. Yeah. So there you go. We're still in contact with Voyager. The bulk of how them. far is it going to go? Did they? Well, here's the question. Yes. So this was planned in the 70s. Yes. And they want this to go. F- are they hoping it goes past Pluto? Do they? It's Voyager, well past Pluto. Does Voyager know that Pluto's not a planet anymore? Yes. Because <laughs> when it was sent, we did consider Pluto Correct. a planet. Correct. Yeah. That's yeah. a big change for them. I mean, on on one of them, there's like a, 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 a like a gold plate that has a picture of our solar system. Uh-huh. It probably does have oh, Pluto on it. Oh, that's embarrassing. So we're going to have to issue Errata for it. Like, <laughs> we're going to have to send another satellite in the same direction. It'd be like, you know, uh, a news update, like a release note. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Software patch. That's the only issue, I'm sure. That's the main issue, the, yeah. The Pluto issue. The aliens will be like, you said this was a planet. I, do you remember the news, like hearing the news that Pluto's not a planet anymore? Yeah. Like that was very earth shattering for me. I thought like, it was what great. What is real? I was always on, on board oh, with that. Oh, you were team Pluto's team not a planet? Pluto not a planet. Is it, was that a thing that was happening years before Pluto Yeah, yeah. And the astro- astronomy uh, community was a big debate. Oh, fascinating. Here you go. Very cool. Very cool science fact, thank Vinny. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. And thank you for your science fact, Katie. You're welcome. Look at us with the politeness. Look at us. New so patterns. New no patterns. rules. No rules. <laughs> More politeness. Well... That's enough out of us yeah. talking to each other. Great. We shouldn't be left alone. We need more we people We need in a here. guest. Yes. And it's my honor to introduce our guest this week, Georgia Lowen. Georgia is a master's student at Carleton University and has a biosystems engineering degree from the University of Manitoba. Her research at Carleton focuses on exploring video game accessibility for players with upper limb motor disabilities through wearable technology. Aside from accessibility research, Georgia enjoys baking, playing video games, and cosplaying. Welcome to the show, Georgia. Hi, the guys. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, it's an honor yeah. to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. What a great <laughs> field to, to, to be in. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, video games. <laughs> Vinny's excited. I'm he heard super video pumped. games yeah. and uh... science out. Video games in. <laughs> He's gonna want some uh, hot, hot video game facts. <laughs> so wh- why don't why don't you start just maybe describing uh, what it means video game accessibility? Just sort of the general uh, issue mm-hmm. and concern there. Yeah, I mean, like the the general thing is is obviously sort of making video games accessible. You know, specifically, I research um, accessibility for individuals with disabilities, but it could be accessible to any amount of people. And so that can be sort of tackled from uh, the software side, which video games have been super great at 
in like increasing their sort of accessibility settings for a variety of different kinds of disabilities. Or you can take that sort of from the hardware side, which is what I look at and sort of specifically looking at video game controllers and how the interaction between the person and the video game can be made to be more accessible or just like sort of also just different and exploring different ways to interact with video games. Very cool. Very cool. And so what are some of the obstacles, say, on the hardware side? On the hardware side, so I work with individuals with physical disabilities affecting their upper limbs. And so sort of the discussion that I've had with my participants is a lot of frustration around requirements for fine motor movement. So you can see that sort of in video games mm -hmm. that you use sort of the keyboard and mouse, it requires a lot of fine motor movement of the fingers to press different keys. Um, and that also applies to um, video game controllers, which require still a lot of fine motor movement of the fingers and sort of in the realm of upper limb motor, dis upper limb motor disabilities, that's not necessarily always accessible or super easy for mm. everyone mm -hmm. to do. So my research is focusing on looking at wearable technology and um, how that can be leveraged to create more accessible interaction for individuals with disabilities. And what has come from my research is looking actually at a lot of um, sort of relocating the interaction away from the hands and fingers and putting mm. that on different parts of the bodies mm -hmm. and including more gross motor movement instead of that fine motor movement. Yeah, so that's my next question. What are some of the, the wearable texts that you're dealing with? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in sort of in the industry side, there's not a whole lot of gaming wearables on the market as of yet. Mm -hmm. The big one that we think of is, of course, virtual reality and virtual mm -hmm. reality headsets, which have their own host of accessibility issues for yes. a lot of people. <laughs> so that's sort of a bit outside of the scope of my research, but that's like the obvious sort of wearable that exists. Um, other things that we've kind of talked about with participants is the Wiimote from way back in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. If you guys played Nintendo Wii, that's also kind of like wearable interaction. Yeah. So other kinds of modalities in my research, I'm sort of currently looking at muscle movement and sort of tracking different muscle movements around the body and sort of connecting those to video game interactions. <laughs> so that's kind that's of really what cool. I've been looking at. Yeah. So before we get into some of those solutions, let's talk a little bit about that field. Like biomechanical engineering do i have that right <laughs> biosystems engineering Bio yeah i did a so yeah tell us some more about that <laughs> yeah um biosystems engineering is kind of a weird department of engineering that seems rather specific to the university of manitoba because yeah. um, <laughs> i've never met anyone else who has that degree outside of university of manitoba unique a unique offering yes. very unique yes um so i did my biosystems engineering degree with a biomedical specialization mm. so all of my, you know, my capstone project, my undergrad thesis were both focused on accessibility um, and creating um, assistive technology. However, that degree can be used in other ways. Other specializations that the University of Manitoba offers is environmental and also sort of people take it as a very strong agriculture lean since it is Manitoba. <laughs> it's a prairie. So yeah. And I actually did do four months of agriculture research. So wow. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> Diverse background. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so that's um, my, my undergrad. <laughs> so with these modified technologies, are we at the place where people could play like Mario Kart with something they're operating with their shoulders? Or are we still starting at sort of more simple games to try to use these alternative movements before we get to that sort of advanced place? Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully, actually, the 
Xbox adaptive controller, which is sort of, you know, when people think video game accessibility, that is the thing that they think of. It's actually made my research a lot easier because it does all of the heavy lifting, translating some kind of interaction from, for example, an Arduino to your video game. So I've haven't done, haven't built anything yet. My research is still very theoretical, but I will be building stuff in my PhD that I'm starting in the fall. <laughs> so wait, wait, sorry, can you just explain for people who don't know what that is, the Xbox Adaptive Controller? The Xbox Adaptive, is? yeah. So the Xbox Adaptive Controller kind of works as an emulator in that it's this little box that's got about 19 ports in it for a 3.5 millimeter mono jack, which is the same kind of jack that you put in a, a headphone jack. <laughs> and then it has two um, USB type A ports on it as well. And the point of this device is that you can plug in any kind of button, switch, et cetera, that has that 3.5 millimeter mono jack. And your computer or your Xbox will read that as video game input. So most often that is used with things like accessible switches from Ablenet or also Logitech has released their own line of more affordable accessible switches. And so you can just plug them into that Xbox adaptive and organize the buttons however you'd like. So that sort of does engage a little bit in that relocating from finer motor movement to gross motor movement because you can spread those buttons out and have, you know, your interaction be covering a lot of space, but it still doesn't sort of take that interaction away from the hands so right but what the device is useful for is that i can make my own joystick which i've done just as a fun little experiment using you know spark fun electronics <laughs> and you put a little code into arduino leonardo and you can plug that into the xbox adaptive and your, com your computer reads that as video game interaction so i want to use this as a tool for my research and sort of you know that part doing the heavy lifting between whatever kind of fun trinkets I make to interact with and then translating that to a video game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so since you're focusing on upper limb concerns, is there any, are you working at all? <laughs> or is anyone working with people using their feet to control the controllers? <laughs> that actually has been come up as a suggestion. And that's part of, you know, the, the research of being able to relocate the interaction elsewhere upon the body. If people feel more comfortable with their feet, <laughs> then they can relocate <laughs> the interaction there or, you know, their head or elsewhere on the body. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can imagine with those adaptive controllers, you have a series of buttons and switches and there's nothing stopping you from running it down to your feet or wherever. Yeah, exactly. It's convenient for you. <laughs> yeah. This, this is reminding me <laughs> deep memory coming out. I struggled with migraines as a kid, mm. and one of my treatments was to see a hypnotist, uh, a medically uh, Can't sanctioned wait to see hypnotist. Where this is going. Anyway, one of the things he did, aside from the hyp hypnosis, was he attached these probes to my head. The goal was to make me more in tune with my muscles, just so that I could really try to relax them forcibly. But what I would do is, we, with these probes attached, I would play like a video game, a very basic, crappy game where like using different muscles would cause different things to move mm. to make me more in tune with it. Did you invent that, Georgia? I guess is my question. Uh, no. <laughs> when, when <you> <laughs> Unfortunately, are you aware not. of this, this technology? <laughs> I'm, that makes it to makes total sense because when you tend to gamify especially medically related things, it makes it generally more enjoyable for people to do. Yeah. And that's where a lot of, actually where a lot of video game accessibility research has been, is been applying mm. that kind of stuff to rehabilitation purposes, mm -hmm. which is great. You know, that gives motivations, especially for, you know, children gives them motivation and engagement to do physical rehab 
But what is equally also important is get allowing people to play their hobbies, <laughs> which right. is very much, you know, what I'm about. Yeah, it's yeah. a really interesting question. Like, what makes a game fun? You know, like, I liked The Sims, which most people in their right mind would find quite boring because it's just life, but small and boring. But for me, for some reason, it's hitting some dopamine switch. Like, uh, as part of the video game world, like, how do you find out, like, this, ooh, they're going to love this one, like, just by just play testing it? Yeah, my research requires a lot of user testing and a lot of user input, <laughs> um, hmm. just based on when you're designing for people, you know, you want those people that you're designing for to enjoy it but also just in the sort of disability research community there's a very important sort of um, understanding of like nothing about us without us so obviously mm. I want to have people with disabilities actively involved yeah. in my yeah. research that totally makes sense and so what kind of research are you doing like what what are some of the questions you're asking <laughs> Yeah. Um, so in my master's thesis, I focused on sort of exploring design guidelines and sort of formulating a sort of not instruction manual, but like different points that are important to consider in creating accessible gaming wearables. And there's been very similar research done on just general gaming wearables for, let's say, like the average quote unquote user. And so I wanted to sort of take that research that was being done that I loved, that was like super creative all this research coming out of Finland. <laughs> and I wanted to take that and sort of apply that sort of idea to individuals with disabilities and sort of understand what their needs are when we're thinking about gaming wearables. And sort of the stuff that came out of that was, as I said before, designing for more gross motor movement, designing for interaction, enjoyable interaction, but also considering, mm. not only considering like the human to the hardware interaction, but also how that hardware is going to interact with the software, with the video game, and sort of make it so that it's still enjoyable to play the video games that people right. want to play. So that was an important part. Yeah, you don't want it to be like a tedious, exactly. kind of like, oh, this is so laborious. Homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's the point is to still have people engage with their hobbies. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and other sort of things that those design guidelines covered were um, sort of things like designing for flexibility and use and being able to, for the participant or the user to put it on the part of the body that they felt the most comfortable using. Mm. And also designing for modularity, because a very interesting thing that I found through my research was that for gamers with disabilities, you know, their experience of playing games and their sort of what feels comfortable for them is going to entirely change over the course of even just one video game playing session. So mm. how they feel at the beginning isn't going to be how they're feeling at the end. So we need to make interaction modular so that they can, if they're playing a video game a certain way and that becomes uncomfortable for them, they can change it up. And instead of being forced to stop playing the video game before they want to, they can change their interaction type and sort of make that interaction fun and enjoyable and comfortable for them again. I'm Tom Zalatnai. And I'm Tefer Ajamian. And we're the hosts of the No Bad Food podcast. No Bad Food is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Find us in the Pod Cavern or wherever fine podcasts are sold. So, Georgia, why do you think video game makers 
are sort of slow to sort of catch up to making things more accessible? What do you think are the major challenges to why it hasn't been adopted more freely? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can say that, you know, since 2018, that's when the Xbox Adaptive was released. There's been like a lot of, I would say, not fast development in the sort of gaming accessibility, but there has been development, which is good. Mm -hmm. But previous to that point, I think this is me strictly just speculating on what I think sure. the gaming industry is doing. But I think there was a lot of like the gamers with disabilities were sort of their unknown demographic. Mm. You know, they didn't, the yeah. gaming industry didn't even necessarily know that this demographic was playing video games or unhappy with the way that they were playing video games. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect to it, as well as the gaming is a very interesting hobby because it started sort of like in, you know, the seventies with um, arcade games and stuff. And as those people who started playing video games when they first started, they're getting older now. You're having this aging demographic and people don't want to give up their hobbies. <laughs> so, right. you know, someone who started playing video games in the 70s and now it's getting older, they don't want to stop playing video games. They want to continue. Um, so we have this concept where mm -hmm. now there's more and more people who through, you know, sort of aging are probably experiencing more and more right. disabilities and they still want to play video games. <laughs> so the video <laughs> game so. industry needs to adopt to their new sort of demographic that they found through that. That's, that makes perfect sense to me. And like, I guess this kind of research just must have like so many other applications, not just for <laughs> gaming, because you can totally see just any kind of accessibility any input interface that's going to benefit from this can be applied in so many other ways because ultimately you're just act interacting with the computer which is so much of our interaction mm -hmm. in day in day to life as it is mm -hmm. yeah definitely and yeah people use video or use computers tons now post-covid environment <laughs> yeah and yeah, i imagine you could see your, your your design guidelines being applied outside the field of <laughs> video games although i guess i imagine it's more specific to gaming mine are a little bit specific to gaming but you know if some other junior researcher wants to take my thesis once it's done and, and do their own thing based on that and apply it to other areas i think that would be very cool <laughs> mm -hmm. when it comes to this type of tech would you say video games are at the forefront or is there some area of life you can think of that's doing something similar that's sort of leading the way that everyone else is sort of uh, copying after that's a good question actually i've been such in a tunnel vision of video games <laughs> for a long time now that i haven't really looked outside of that but yeah i mean i could Im I immediately like cars uh, yeah cars is going to be yeah. one of like because it's all such like a abstracted interface with like a steering wheel and who knows where those are going to go <laughs> we're just future. automating that entirely though. yeah i guess we don't even need drivers in the future anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm really hung up on this idea of how do you know when someone liked a game? Is it with your research, Georgia? Did you mostly just ask them like that was 10 out of 10 fun? Or are you do you have like vials? And you're taking blood samples and you're measuring like <laughs> hormones and endorphins. Like how do you know when someone likes something? Um, unfortunately, REB will not let me take any kind of <laughs> readings on people like that. I think yeah. you come at them with a needle at the end <laughs> of the game. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, sometimes they don't even like it when H researchers like just put a tech on a participant <laughs> they don't even like right. that sometimes yeah so i mean again mostly my research right now has been not yet on the prototyping end but more so just like on the participant mm -hmm. input end 
And it's a lot of, yeah, kind of just asking the participant their opinion and asking, like, really probing them about, like, what specifically right. about this kind of interaction that you had experienced did you like or dislike? And that's sort of how I've been getting most of my feedback from them. Sure. I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, which is that a lot of information was coming out of Finland. <laughs> I've been now, looking, yeah. That was really specific, and I want to know more about that. Yeah. Why Finland? What are they doing over there? They're bored. I don't know. <laughs> I think the Nordic countries are just really cool, um, first of all. Mm. And I don't know, just I one day when I was, you know, early on in my master's doing my literature review and trying to decide what direction I wanted to go for my thesis, I found this very interesting paper by a very interesting man and his team in Finland. His last name is Baruch. I cannot pronounce his first name because it is a very Finnish first name. Sure. <laughs> but he had a very cool paper, a couple papers, about creating you know, sort of very fun and creative ideas for video game wearables. And I was like, that got me thinking, I'm like, you know what, he's right. There hasn't really been a whole lot of wearable innovation in video games. There was for a moment when we had things like the Wiimote mm -hmm. <laughs> and also Nintendo again with their Nintendo Labo thing that yeah. they had. That was like, the yeah, sense. one moment of like real cool, weird interaction and then just gone. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, no one, no one liked them. No, not enough people bought them. Because I, well, I remember it was, it was an experiment. It was very experimental. People, some yeah. people got, yeah, yeah. So it was just comment and stuff like that. And then his research kind of proposed these ideas, like, ah, oh, what if we put like a wig, and you and you interacted with the wig, and 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 that was video game interaction, and and it was very cool. And also in his research, he specifically included cosplayers, <laughs> which is part of how I found it as just kind of looking okay. if there's anything related to cosplay and HCI research. There is. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just kind of was interesting. There's different ideas that he came out that came out of that research. But then me coming from sort of an accessibility background, I was like, this is very cool, but I can see already some accessibility issues. So yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Finland, Great. metal and video game accessibility. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> and so then how, like, what was your, like, pathway into all of this? Like, where did the seed for all of this start? Did you come in from, like, video games or cosplay initially or just uh, engineering? Um, it's interesting. Mostly from an engineering perspective first. Mm. Um, I took in my... I believe third year of engineering, I took a um, design of assistive technology course, which was one of my design mm. electives. And I loved that course so much. I thought it was so much fun mm. and so cool. And I learned what I thought was like really valuable information for me. So I took that and was really inspired by that. And that's kind of what set me on the sort of like accessibility pathway. And then for my capstone project in my undergrad degree, I worked with the Health Sciences Center, Assistive Te Technology Products and Services at in Winnipeg to build a prototype for a power wheel joystick mount. So just the mounting system for the joystick Ooh. that would sort of rotate so that a participant a user of the wheelchair could have the joystick be closer to them. And mm -hmm. yeah, so like that was super fun. It gave me a lot of introduction to specifically designing UI interfaces for individuals with disabilities. And then finally in my undergrad thesis, I wanted to instead of just choosing a professor to work with and working on one of their existing projects, I wanted to create my own project to work on. So I ended up researching video game accessibility <laughs> um, and specifically looking hmm. at different sort of universal design principles that are or not are not included mm -hmm. in video game controller design. And yeah, from that point on, I just wanted to do really pursue this fully. And the Creative Interactions Lab here at Carleton University is super 
awesome for researching accessibility. And I just thought that was a perfect fit for me. And hmm. thankfully I was accepted into the program and <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Wow. So Georgia, I'm a biologist. Engineering <laughs> is very far from anything I've ever thought of doing. What What is designing a prototype as an engineer even even like? Like you start, you, you have this drawing and you're like, this is going to work. <laughs> and then you like start building things and you're soldering. Like what, what, are, what are sort of the gross steps of building a prototype? The gross steps firstly is a lot of user research. At least that's the first step that I like to take in my undergrad capstone project, I started with interviewing a couple of um, power wheelchair users just to understand like what exactly is the barrier that you're experiencing and what do you want to see as the future? So it's a lot of user research first and then low fidelity prototyping. So things like using cardboard <laughs> and paper and stuff to just sort mm. of figure out your ideas first. And then after that point, some like minor testing and then you go to the mid-fidelity prototype phase, which is still a little rough looking, but a little bit cleaner. And it like actually is like working, so to speak. So, but wow, yes, to answer cool. it, it is a lot of soldering and little electronics and Arduinos <laughs> and everything. And 3D printing now. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Ah, 3D printing. Because now yes. you can like yeah. customize and oh man. Oh yeah, it's great. Where's the fun in that? It's the artist with the cardboard <laughs> no. and the glue. That's where <laughs> you, you just know... want to craft. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Engineering is pretty crafty, but the crafting materials are like wires it should have been sold it was sold to me like that is basically knitting i would have been in like i was gonna say knitting is engineering to me wow it is it is i agree thank you so so georgia you obviously like video games so what what's what sort of your background before you went into undergrad like were you a really sciencey kid were you building things with yarn and glue you played Uh, video games all night (laughs) <laughs> I actually, as a child, did not play that much video games. My mm. parents were kind of not an anti-video game household, <laughs> but they were not not pro. They weren't going out buying me video games or anything. So the first video game console mm-hmm. that I bought with my own money was a Nintendo Wii. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I loved it. Played Mario Kart like mm-hmm. every day, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And then as I kind of got older, I d- you know, discovered steam and pc gaming and everything yeah i'm still more of like a a, i would say a a casual gamer you know i like playing things i also like the sims (laughs) Um, nice nice yes the real games the gamers yeah technically defined as a toy but that's okay oh here we go here we go She's the professional. All right, I defer. Okay, I defer. Georgia, Georgia has the final word on what is and is not a video game. Sims are great. Yeah. And, and were you really into science as well, or did that sort of come later? I was I was pretty into science, yeah, in, in school. But I was also, I consider myself rather artistic as well. And that's mm. sort of where the cosplay side mm. comes in a little bit. Like, um, I took up crocheting when I was quite young. <laughs> and I actually very, I used to, in my... Um, undergrad days i used to make little crochet dolls i actually have one here it's a little i don't know if you can see him it's a little raccoon um (laughs) i used to make things like that and then sell them at like the local comic con (laughs) oh wow so i have an artistic side and i think that's definitely kind of what attracted me to engineering a little Mm. bit because it is more arts and crafts than i think most people think it is (laughs) it is yeah for sure it's like it really does demand a lot of creativity and instead of Mm -hmm. like yarn or cardboard you're working with like like real practical usable elements like for depending on the application so in this case it's wires and buttons and, and whatnot <laughs> yeah i would argue the sciences in general require 
to be good at it, you need a lot of creativity. It's a lot yeah. of you get into pro. It's constant problem solving, Absolutely. and what what better yeah. way to solve problems than to be armed with creative solutions? And having these sorts of hobbies, I think, definitely is is a benefit. It's a message I constantly have to tell my my students because I think they get led down mm-hmm. this road of if I want to be a successful student scientist, I need to delete every other part of my life and focus on yeah. academics. And they forget that these other things aren't just a pastime. They are useful for your formative yeah. I mean, uh, learning. It's so holistic. Like everything that you learn and do from other fields is going to be applicable in some way. If at least it gives you at the baseline, it gives you context. Mm-hmm. It gives you an understanding for the world around you. And how could that not be applicable when you're dealing with the world around you, whether it's a scientific or not uh, application? And I mean, I'm building on that. I noticed a lot when I was in engineering that there was a lot of, I think is mostly joking, but still like slightly hurtful, a very like anti-art kind mm-hmm. of yes. vibe from the students. And, you know, me as someone who was both into sciences as well as art was kind of like, I know y'all engineers here, but like if you build an ugly bridge, no one's gonna want to use it. You need a little bit of art. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they're I not think, mutually exclusive. No, I think exactly. the, the 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 great things that are around us have an aesthetic value to them, and there's a, there is something to be said about crafting something beautiful and simple, and it gives you uh, a sense of elegance, which I think is highly applicable in 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 the sciences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so George, you've hinted at a PhD. Are you are you finished your masters? I so submitted close. my <gasps> so, so, so close. close. I submitted my um thesis to my committee on the seventeenth and I defend on the thirty first. Oh my goodness. In a yeah. week? Oh my god. Wow. What are you gonna do when we show up at your defense? We're like Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> I'll be very happy. Yeah. <laughs> That's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, just handing the paper in. Oh my goodness. Uh, what a relief. The biggest weight off my back. Yeah. I felt like I I could not entirely like relax though because I was doing quantitative research methods course sort of oh, for my goodness. PhD. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a qual girl. So doing quantitative <laughs> research was like, ooh, stressful. Uh-huh. But yeah, I had like that project due like a couple days later oh my <laughs> actually goodness. yesterday so wow. now i can finally relax a little bit wow so you've already started on the phd is this also at carlton why don't you tell us a bit about your next chapter it's it's still at carlton still at the same lab at the creative interactions lab at carlton so i have i have for currently for my um master's degree i have started with my supervisor dr audrey gerard and sort of then her postdoc but now professor at waterloo dr karen cochran is my co-supervisor for both my masters and then also for my phd and she's great (laughs) karen and i are like friends which i love (laughs) good to have a good you need that good relationship eh? exactly yeah yeah. and what are you hoping to research are you still it's too early to say um i'm still sort of going on with the same area of video game mm-hmm. accessibility but i'm also sprinkling sprinkling in a little bit of like methodological research mm-hmm. and sort of exploring dialogic slash performance analysis and its applications in hci research because mm-hmm. um which is a method of narrative inquiry which is used in hci research but is only used with certain different kinds of analysis methods and i want to introduce a sort of newer it's not new to methods but it's new to hci mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so a little bit of theory thrown in there, and also I was I was talking to Karen this morning, and maybe it 
sort of the idea of exploring um, sort of DIY communities within mm -hmm. uh, like the disability community and figuring out ways to support people DIYing their own like video game interaction solutions. Oh, so cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can get like um, crowdsourcing on problems, it's amazing yeah. what comes up. Yeah. And like organizers, or organizations like Makers Making Change already have such a huge input. So stuff like that, but like allowing the user to sort of be able to DIY their own solutions a little bit, I think would be really fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love Absolutely. DIY, so yeah. I'm super excited to look into that. And just to kind of leapfrog that as we wrap things up, you've also mentioned cosplaying. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. That is my hobby that keeps me sane. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, yeah, like we were saying, this sort of, I do a lot of like science, science, science all mm -hmm. day. And then I also need a little bit of like art and something mm -hmm. creative just to engage the other side of the brain a little bit. So I started cosplaying when I was in high school mm -hmm. in 2013 and just kind of stuck with it as something that I like to do. I like video games and I like comic books and, you know, being able to dress up like those characters, I think is super fun. So, so cool. I make all my cosplays. I find it very relaxing to be sewing them all the time. Oh. So... <laughs> Yeah, what are some 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 characters if you're willing to sort of share share that? Sure. <laughs> oh, this is too private. Um, <laughs> your private life. <laughs> yeah, um, my favorite character right now is probably uh, Harley Quinn. Oh, okay. She's my favorite. She's I've heard a scientist, of that one. so I love her. <laughs> yeah, so I love cosplaying as Harley Quinn. I have a couple of different cosplays of her. I'm currently working on a jury cosplay from Street Fighter Six. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, I just try to do like a variety of stuff as well as like not characters per se, but my own like hmm. original designs of characters or just like concepts that I like to do. So I did like a Rococo themed outfit oh, <laughs> in cool. uh, in during COVID times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you? COVID gave me a lot of time to work. I was on gonna a say, yeah, that's gonna a say. good hobby to have during COVID. <laughs> a lot of hobbies got yeah. cemented during the dark ages there. Oh yeah. Do you do you go to like comic cons? Like for me, when I think of, I don't know much about cosplay, but to me, it's like putting on costumes from usually video game or that sort of world and going to a, a, a convention. But I guess you don't need to go to the convention for it to be cosplay, do you? No. No, actually, that's that's most of it. I, I do go to comic conventions and anime conventions and, and wear my little cosplays there. But I also run a, uh, a Discord server for local Ottawa and Gatineau area cosplayers and oh, cosplay cool. photographers. And so that's mostly just trying to engage the community and like talking to each other and like sharing ideas and sharing tips. And we sometimes have discord meetups where we all dress up in Very our little costumes cool. and meet somewhere and then take little photos of each other and stuff. So that's the other kind of main outlet that I have with cosplay. Very wow. cool. And is there like a, like a public facing aspect to this, uh, of what you do? Like a social media account where you're like, these are my cosplays. Sometimes people do that. Yeah, I do have a social media. I'm mostly active on Instagram at G the ghost, G E E underscore the ghost. So that's my Instagram handle if anyone wants to take a look. Very cool. Very cool. Good for you having all these hobbies. Yeah. See, it's possible, it's, people. Yeah, yeah you got to do both. You can't yeah. just <laughs> be locked to. in the lab. If I didn't have hobbies, I'd go insane yeah so. i think most people do <laughs> yeah. that's what happens <laughs> yes, the, if the rest we don't just go, nuts. Yeah, just go bananas go bananas and final question georgia where do you see yourself in like 10 years you're gonna do this phd hopefully that's done within those 10 it's a big years question. you never know you don't have to commit but do you think you want to be a researcher like do you have any sort of picture for where you're gonna go that's a really hard question <laughs> <laughs> the answer is like i don't know mostly because I have so many different, I like a lot yeah. of different things. Like sure. I had a lot of 
you know, got a lot of experience through TAing mm -hmm. um, a couple undergrad courses. And I was like, man, I really like teaching and I really like interacting with students. Maybe yeah. I want to go be a professor. But then I also like, you know, want to actively be working for accessibility rights. And mm -hmm. I was like, maybe I want to be like a lobbyist or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, so I could see myself going in, in a couple different directions. I don't really know yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And it's okay. You have a whole PhD yeah, one in a week step at a time. Think about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Georgia, thank for taking you, Georgia. time to chat with us. Your research sounds super cool. You're making the world a better place. Yeah. Thanks for taking time to chat. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. This is great. Awesome. Thank you, Georgia. See you. Good luck on your defense. Yeah, go, Georgia. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. That's so cool. It's, I, it's an amazing field. It's nice to hear that that's where things are going. You know, that companies are starting to see that they can't just ignore this whole part of the population anymore, that there's, you know, they need to start advancing and, and, and making these accessible for everyone. I mean, it's also good business. I mean, you just sell more copies of your game it's, and it's all, yeah. you know, it's always a, some calculation of like, if we mm. spend this much money, are we going to make that much money back? But I think it's really important to like make these things accessible for, for the population at large. Like there's so many people. Well, games should be for everyone or as many people as possible. And I think it's awesome that there are people, you know, expanding the reach and the scope of what can be done with them. Now, we just need a controller that makes me decent at Mario Kart. Good luck. They haven't invented no, that yet. I don't. But you know what? I'm going to, I demand it. I think, I think that'll be a big ask. But you know what? Maybe, maybe it's out there. Well, that's it for our show, that's Vinny. We learned today. a lot we about... Learned the voyager and bioluminescence hey nice and of course wearable tech thanks yep. to georgia amazing why don't you send people off on our socials vin if you'd like to follow us on social media you can check us out on facebook instagram tiktok and our youtube channel all at lrg uh, pod you're completely abandoning the bird app no the bird app is dead to me <laughs> <laughs> the uh on youtube you can just look up learn real good podcast we have our science facts on there now as little shorts um but yeah lrg pod on facebook instagram uh and tiktok uh if you're a stem student out there in grad school would love to be a guest on us we'd love to have you as a guest <laughs> Uh, send us an email at learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, you can't sound like Who's that? Like, uh, you know? oh, don't spook them out. Don't spook uh, them out, Vinny. Come to learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for the PBS voice. Well, thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much. Like, subscribe. Tell your friends about this podcast if you listen to it. That would be fantastic. We just, we live on word of mouth. Absolutely. So that's it. Yeah. See you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.